1: How's it going? This is Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Great to have you with us again on this program, both live and if you're if you're getting the show afterwards, that's that's great too. You're you're here with uh, the haircut twins. For those of you who are joining us live, John John Sheeran and I got some uh, got the ears lowered, as they say. John, how are you, sir?
2: Enjoy,
1: did you enjoy the bye week.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, very very relaxing. Very long, but you know that with what has gone on on the past couple weeks, I've kind of accepted that as well. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, uh, another, yet again, another special, uh, Thursday edition. We appreciate, uh, the, the the listeners and the fans sticking with us. I know the schedule has been a little wacky, um, coming up here and, uh, you know, things come up, we're we're busy guys but uh we still want to bring you the program and we do know that Thursday night is a this this Thursday night's game is a big one because Carolina is playing Pittsburgh uh in Pittsburgh and uh if we're we're on Thursday night like I said so if you're you're probably if you're listening to the show later on you're you already know what the result is but for now the Panthers just took an early 7-0 lead on on the Steelers, which is good news for the Bengals.
2: But the smart people are watching the game while meeting Joe Buck and listening to us.
1: That, the there you go. I mean, I, I, our voices have to be much, much more soothing than that of Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman. You, you got you got the the big-time guys right here on, uh, on the Orange and Black Insider. Um, kind of a lot to cover here, John. It's – Unfortunately, it seems like it's more of the frustrating or frustration type of things that we're going to talk about tonight. And I guess where we can start is the Bengals' inactivity in terms of bringing in potential people that can help the roster in the wake of injuries, in the wake of issues. Uh, Most Bengals fans by now know that – AJ Green's hurt. We'll talk more about that in in just a little bit, but backtracking a little bit, the New Orleans Saints, the team that is coming to town this week, realized they lost Ted Ginn for the year. By the way, that's crazy that he's still playing football. Um, (laughs) Seems like he's been playing forever, but they lost Ted Ginn. They're kind of struggling finding another guy that's consistent opposite of Michael Thomas, and they go and sign Des Bryant, a guy that a lot of Bengals fans wanted to see in, in in stripes because A.J. Green is out. But also, guys behind Green and Tyler Boyd have not played very well. Then you have the Atlanta Falcons, also another NFC South team. They go and bring in Bruce Irvin as kind of a last-ditch effort to try and make a playoff push. They're kind of middle of the pack right now. So I bring this up. This isn't an NFC South podcast, obviously, but I think these two moves make a lot of sense for their clubs. They would have made a lot of sense for the Bengals. Are, are you frustrated? Especially now we might even see Des Bryant this week with New Orleans coming to town.
2: Yeah, it's just funny how the Bengals had A.J. Green obviously injured. And they had lost Carl Austin for the year. So the two biggest needs that they had in their bye week was wide receiver, pass rusher. When you know it, the most talented guys on the free agent market are wide receiver, edge rusher. And I guess I guess most logical Bengals fans kind of knew that both players weren't the kind of guys that the Bengals like to bring in. Especially during the middle of the season. It's so rare that the Bengals would ever bring in an impact player in free agency, off the waiver wire, or even in the trade deadline. I think the last big one was Eric Winston back in the 2014 season, and he obviously helped, but it's just not something that happens very often. So it's it's very poetic that obviously the big name still in the market um, ends up signing with the team that the Bengals played the, the, the week after, which is just almost incredulous. And the fact that not only Ted Ginn was hurt, the, but um, Cameron Meredith, another Saint receiver, also uh, needs to have surgery, will be placed on, a, on, a, on IR. So... Outside of Michael Thomas, all that leaves on the receiver depth chart is just uh, Tricon Smith, who's a rookie out of Central Florida, who's a very talented rookie. And then there's Des Bryant. So we don't know how much Des will play against the Bengals on Sunday, but he's pretty much already slotted into that third receiver role and could potentially play some significant snaps late in the game, probably on a limited basis. But I, I, I guess, like, um, you know, our own Matt Minich, who is a great writer and film analyst on Cincy Jungle. He brought up the question, are Bengals fans more frustrated that they didn't sign Des Bryant or that they might not activate on Tate? And most of the, the and the majority results from the poll said that if on Tate isn't active. And I think that spoke to a lot of the resignation that Bengals fans have about bringing in impact free agents and just the 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 unlikeliness of that kind of happening, that they're they would be more upset if on Tate didn't play after being promoted up to the active roster than the fact that they didn't sign Des Bryant because signing Des Bryant, is not something that I think a lot of people expected. It's what a lot of people like hoped on blind faith, but you know, it's not something that we expected even if we wanted them to. And it's just, it, it, it might very well bite him in the bite him in the butt. Um, if Brian ends up making impact plays against them on Sunday.
1: Yeah. It's uh, by the way, quick score update on the Thursday night football game, Carolina was up seven, nothing. And I think first or second play that the, Steelers had on offense on the ensuing kickoff, they throw a big touchdown to Juju Smith Schuster to tie it up. So seven seven. Um, I you know I think that you what you said made a lot of sense and and quite honestly, there's there's actually a part of me that almost wants Des Bryant to play and do very well against the Bengals for because, sure because it's I mean it's almost it's so frustrating. There are so many times that we see now. Let's back up a second. There are so, almost any time a big name guy, a former big pick, gets cut, whatever. Bengals fans are always like, "Oh, we got to get this guy. We got to get this guy." Obviously, there's scheme fit to think about. There's cost. There's locker room issues. There's all kinds of things to to bring into the equation. I get it, but the Bengals have lost a number of players to injury. And for short term, long term, uh, they lost a talented pass rusher in Carl Lawson. The sack numbers don't necessarily show it this year, but you know he's got he, he has a lot of pressures, and you know obviously he had a good rookie season. That's a guy you're going to miss. Right. Um, relying on Jordan Willis, a guy that I, I still think has a lot of promise, but has one sack in his NFL career in regular season games. He's a preseason beast, but when it comes to the regular season, he can't do very much. Um, you know, Sam Hubbard, who's had some very big plays and then he's disappeared for stretches. so I mean you got irvin floating out there where it's like, well, you know, maybe pay, pay a couple million to get this guy in there for a half a season a rental deal now he might have been a little bit different different because it sounded like he really wanted to go and play in Atlanta and play for his old coach and Dan Quinn so maybe that was you know that played into it but the point is and you you touched on it, John the point is is, Look, I mean, you don't need to get every single free agent out there. You don't need to get every top-tier free agent out there. But there are there are moves to be made. This team has salary cap room. You shed a couple of guys, George Loca and others, Brandon LaFell, others. Yeah, that helped you get those big contracts to Geno Atkins and Carlo, Carlos Dunlap this offseason. But you still have room to do something, and you still have ways to improve this team. Eli Apple – Another, I think, first round pick, a cornerback. He was just dealt to the Saints, right? From, mm. Wasn't he a New York Giant? He was yep. just the Saints. I mean, these are guys that you can bring in, not really cost a ton, and, and help your team out. And, you know, unfortunately, the Bengals just seem to, there are a lot of things that have changed in Marvin Lewis's tenure, but this sit on your hands thing, this conservative nature, um, tends, you know, it, it tends to hurt the team. And yeah. and it also, I mean, you also think you go back to. I, I always bring this argument up too, in terms of thinking thinking from ownership perspective. And I want to get your thoughts on this too, John. You look at the crowd that was at the game against the Buccaneers. Now, granted, the, the Bengals Buccaneers matchup probably wasn't obviously isn't as big as a Ravens game or a Steelers game or you know another big team coming into town, but at the time. The Buccaneers were in the playoff hunt. The Bengals, you know, are still in the playoff hunt. I would be surprised to see that that stadium was just a little bit over. I mean, if that if they had two-thirds capacity that day, I would be very surprised to know that. And I think that fans just kind of get like, you're not really showing us much in terms of aggressiveness to bring these guys in to really want us to make us want to buy expensive tickets.
2: Yeah, and I think that what most of us feel is that we just want to see them try because you you could tell me that you could talk to Des Bryant and Bruce Irvin and you could you know ask them to give you a, a list of preferable teams that they want to join and I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals weren't in the top ten and that's fine but I I just I want to see them try to get them in the first place it almost seems like if unless they are for sure that a free agent it has significant interest in joining the team they kind of just don't even. Attempt to bring him in in the first place, and that this, that 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 that's a level of laziness that a lot of fans may not tolerate, even for Bengals fans who are resigned to the fact that they're ultra ultra conservative. And I think that attendance number was somewhere in the range of forty five, forty six thousand. That was just coming off of the disaster of Sunday night, and after that game against the Chiefs, you know, they obviously didn't say anything impactful to say like, hey, we're going to make sure this is better, and we're going to do stuff, and we're going to bring guys in. It was almost like you know the, the same old story following a primetime defeat. So, yeah, the, just the, we just kind of want to see them try. Because if, if they don't end up bringing Des Bryant and Bruce Irvin in, that's fine. They can maybe survive it w- w- without those guys and have other guys come back from injury. But the fact that they just don't try to do these things, they don't try to improve their team in other ways that they don't normally do, that's kind of what hurts the most. And that's kind of what impacts fans' thoughts in terms of just investment into what looks to be a, a shaky season at best.
1: Yeah, and I get it. I mean, there's a fine line to walk, right? I mean, probably their mindset, I would I would think is look, we've we've put our eggs in the draft basket. We got to see if Jordan Willis has long-term viability. We got to see if Sam Hubbard has long-term viability. We got to see if John Ross has long-term viability, Josh Malone has long-term viability. I get it. And you got and and there's been a lot of criticism both from myself from other fans, from writers that Marvin Lewis doesn't play the young guys all the time or as much as he probably should when veteran, other veterans that aren't necessarily pulling their weight. um, They get the more, they get more playing time and, and that frustrates fans. I get it. So, you know, you bring in a veteran you go, okay, well now, now you just, you know, stunt potentially stunted those guys' growth, but it's not really so much. You can find ways to still rotate these guys in. You can still find ways to get the football to some of these guys. And I just, you know, I, I think it really bothered me on offense because you didn't, you didn't do the wide receiver thing uh, high this year. You lost Eifert. Croft has been gone for a long time. Green is out. Malone's been non-existent. Ross has been out. Core has been a, a mess. Erickson is—I mean, Erickson's Erickson, I guess. He, he's more of a special teamer than a than a wide receiver. I mean, in terms of contributions. So, I think that's just where you go. You just get frustrated. You go, well, why? I mean, why can't you just do a, do something that could help your team? Because you're still in the hunt. You're still right there.
2: Yeah, and like. I feel like they had a fear that if word got out that they were trying to acquire Dez Bryant and then Dez decided not to join him, which again could have been a, a likely possibility outcome. Uh, I'm afraid that they were afraid of maybe sending the wrong message to guys like, you know, Erickson and Malone and, and even now on tape that, you know, you're trying to bring in someone to play over them because obviously they're better players and none of those guys that, that they're now thrusting into the line for green have shown anything to give us any confidence or hope. But if this team is truly in win now, then they have to realize that, you know, the young players that they're trying to develop just aren't there yet. And under the, under the current circumstances, a guy like Des Bryant could provide a much more impactful um, offensive con- contribution for only, I think, I think his salary is like $660,000 this year. And obviously none of it's guaranteed because we're at week, week 10 of the season. So it. We I I just want again, I just want to see them try. If they fail, they fail and you just move on to the next opportunity. But the fact that they just they sit on their hands too much and just rely on guys magically getting better by not doing anything different. It's just it, it, it's tiresome and it obviously leads to the same outcomes that we always see.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about this before. I mean, there there are hints of the team kind of operating scared. You know, yeah. I mean they, they, they've they have it, a lot of the free agent splashes they made in the in the early middle parts of Marvin Lewis's tenure. Antoine Odom, Antonio Bryant. They still hang on to those fears of what if we spend this money and this guy doesn't work out and it blows up in our face. Well, I mean, it, it happens. It's happened to every team, and you can't really operate a successful franchise in my eyes um, that way. And you know, I think they still kind of you know you hear Jeff Hobson kind of. Yearly, almost regurgitate that kind of stuff. Um, that that's why, you know, that, that's why they they're not active in in March. That's why they're not so active at the trade deadline. All that kind of stuff. Uh, another score update, real quick on this uh, Panthers Steelers game. In five game game minutes, there's been three touchdowns. Uh, Cam Newton threw a pick six to Vince Williams uh, after. Juju Smith-Schuster had a long touchdown. So it's now 14-7 Steelers uh, as as Carolina tries to regroup after getting that early 7-0 lead. So um, interesting game here. It's probably going to be a lot of – both these offenses can score. So uh, there's probably going to be a lot of that. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kozenzi. You can get this show on YouTube. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on the Google Play app, the Stitcher app. You can get it on Art 19. You can get it on Cincy Jungle. So go get the program. Uh, we appreciate all the subscribers and all of the support. I, I got a great uh, voice voicemail from a listener actually on, um, I believe it was Friday morning last week. Uh, John, he couldn't he couldn't call in. Uh, during our normal time, uh, I think it was, his name was Robert. Uh, so thanks for the nice message, Robert. He, he had some kind words for us and we appreciate that. Speaking of the phone line and text line, you can get in touch with us. We'll be taking calls later in the show, but you can always text us throughout the show. 949 949-542-6241, 949-542-6241. We will be taking calls and your questions. So you can call us, you can text us, call us later in the show, but you can text us at any point. And um, you can leave your questions in the live YouTube chat or tweet at us at Bengals OBI. We'll look at that. And then we also have the live comment thread if, you, if you're watching on cincyjungle.com and you want to leave a comment there, we'll, we'll keep an eye there. So please do that. Moving on and speaking of the AJ Green injury, John, there are uh, there are a number of players that the Bengals need to step up in Green's absence, it looks as if Green, who knows exactly how long he'll be out. We've seen, unfortunately, Green has been a guy, yeah, he's been he's been pretty durable throughout his career, but there have been a handful of seasons in his career where he misses the occasional one, two games, um, and it looks like that's probably going to be the case here with this injury. He usually rebounds well and plays well. It was a shame because... Green and Boyd, as I mentioned last week, were on pace for both. Were on pace for 1,000-yard seasons and double-digit touchdowns. That may be in jeopardy now, depending on what happens with Green. But there's kind of a two-prong question here, and we'll start with this. And it's okay if it's the same person, but we'll start with this one. Who needs to step up the most with Green's absence obviously against new Orleans and maybe even going ahead. Uh, it would be a shame if green isn't available for Baltimore because he absolutely destroys the Ravens, but let's just kind of say, uh, let's take it one week at a time here, but who needs to step up the most, um, whether it's a receiver or maybe a running back or what have you, who needs to step up the most with green out of the lineup?
2: Well, just, re- just real quick. I just want to confirm with all our listeners. We did call that green would miss at least one or two games. like It, and it would be the same, almost the exact same situation as Billy price. So just, not, not, not to toot our own horns, but we did, we did foresee this. A lot of you did too. Yeah. But who needs step up? It has to be obviously be John Ross and the fact that he was practicing this week. I think Tyler Boyd said he was back to his normal self. He's blazing by guys in the secondary, which, when I went to training camp for you know almost all the time, that was exactly the case. So obviously him being healthy helps them out a lot. And obviously the Saints' defense is ex- extremely vul- vulnerable against the pass. Um, They're like 26th in uh, expected points on defense, but they're first in rush defense, which really tells you how bad their pass defense is. And I'm sure that Ross is going to get a lot of opportunities to torch Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple, Marcus Williams at at safety. And they're going to need him to do that because, you know, without Green, he's like their most competent vertical threat. And Ross is the guy, you know, behind him who can bring that ability, but just hasn't been able to do that, obviously, yet. If he's healthy, he should make an impact. But the guy who will step up or, yeah, I, I think Ross is, is the guy who needs to step up because obviously the guy who probably will step up in his place, Tyler Boyd, you know, he's going to do what he normally does out of the slot, and you can almost at this point count on the production from him. Even if a little bit more um, um, load of the offense is bestowed upon him without Green, I think that he's basically the Bengals version of Mike Thomas. You know, the majority of the targets that you put on him He's going to make the most of him. He's going to be effective in it regardless of if the attention is more swayed to this way because at this point he's, he's stepped up to, you know, as much as we could possibly ask for out of a guy in his third year who had an underwhelming second year. But Ross needs to make that eventual step. And with Green out of the line of this is his perfect opportunity to against a very bad pass defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully we're sitting here saying – the first segment we did on this show talking about Des Bryant. Hopefully, we're sitting here saying, Oh, that doesn't even matter because Ross stepped up huge and he's playing well with Green out of the lineup." Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that would be a dream scenario. And, uh, you know, we've seen some good things from him this year. He's got the two touchdown catches. He's, he's made a couple of plays. But the consistency is a, is a major issue with, with Ross, and I think part of that has to do with injury. But, yes, I think, uh, as you mentioned, who needs to step up, I would agree with John Ross on that. But I'm going to go um, a little different. Who needs to step up, I will say – who needs to step up is C.J. Ozama. And uh, I, I say that because tight ends are always a security blanket. The, the Bengals have used recently, have used their tight ends in screens and all kinds of different, you know, short passes. Uh, they, they had a long pass to Jordan Franks against the Buccaneers a couple a couple weeks ago. So, they're actually, for years and years and years, early in Marvin Lewis' tenure, we always talked about, where's the tight ends? They never used a tight end. You know, they, they had Reggie Kelly around for years, and he was the blocker guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Gresham, but Gresham was feast or famine. Um, and then, you know, lately they've, they've used their trio, when they have them healthy, of tight ends pretty well. Uzama has a lot of athleticism. Uh, I, I I really I really like him. Unfortunately, he's kind of been battling injuries in his career as well. He's been down the pecking order. Now you got Eifert out. You probably have Croft out. Behind Uzama is a lot of, and Uzama is also bad at battling a, a collarbone injury that he suffered against Tampa Bay. So um, I think he needs to step up. You know, I, I think that if, any quarterback. Um, it, you know, they always talk about this with young quarterbacks, but any quarterback that has a capable tight end that they can rely on in in an offense always makes things more comfortable. So I will say, uh, yes, I agree with Ross, but I will say that the person who needs to step up in AJ Green's absence the most would be CJ Uzama just to kind of help take pressure off of uh, some of the other guys, Boyd, Ross, whoever, and also make Andy Dalton a little more comfortable. I think you tipped your hat a little bit with who, who will step up. You said Tyler Boyd. You think we'll do that.
2: Yeah, and along with Boyd, just to kind of diversify the answer a little bit, I'm going to go, hopefully he plays G.M.I. Bernard. And, and if he does play, I think he's going to have, I, I, I'll predict that he has some snaps in the slot. Um, I don't know what his workload's going to be like if he plays at all, because when we're recording this, he's been limited on Wednesday and Thursday in practices. So if he does play, on the assumption that he does play, I think that we're going to see probably maybe more targets than actual rush attempts. I think they're going to lean on Joe Mixon in the running game, but I think um, Bernard's going to get so, some usage as a running back and. Not to obviously the extent that Alvin Mar is for the Saints, but I think that for them to win against you know a Saints defense that's pretty strong in the front seven, they're going to have to get creative with the way that they use Bernard, and that's something that they haven't been able to do with him or mixing this year under Bill Lazor. Um, snaps in the slot, you know, more than just screen screen passes and. Uh, just short passes out of the flat, I think that would help the Bengals offense a lot. And if Bernard is healthy, I think he's a weapon that will definitely help Dalton out in terms of just keeping the offense moving without his best player on the field. So obviously Boyd is, you know, his safety blanket, his third down machine, but I think with Bernard back, you'll see kind of an increase in just the flow of the offense through the passing game with green out.
1: I I, I totally agree. And when you look when you look at, unfortunately, I think it was his last game he's played, Uh, the last game you played this year against Atlanta, you know, a lot, a lot of people are like, well, green had the big touchdown catch to, to win the game. Ross had the long touchdown catch. Boyd was absolutely critical on that, on that uh, last drive, extending plays and extend, you know, moving the chains all over the place. Yes, 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 of course. But when you look at the outlets, uh, the outlet that Giovanni Bernard provided without Joe Mixon, in, in, in the lineup, uh, what he was able to do. I, you know, I, I, I don't think you can say enough in terms of his value to this, to this offense. You know, it's, it, it's going to need, they're going to need to get uh, some of this. Unfortunately, some of the plays to Giovanni Bernard that are drawn up are very predictable. The swing. Mm-hmm. Path is, I mean, there, there's, there are times where immediately after the ball snapped, I literally say out loud, I'm like swing pass. Uh, because you you just see it coming sometimes, and sometimes it still works very effectively. Other times they swarm it, but um, it's stuff like that where I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I, you know, I don't want to take the lazy route, but uh, I agree with that That was the guy I was going to say is that's, that's who will step up. And the one facet I always talk about when I talk about Giovanni Bernard, which is very, very underrated and very, very overlooked is his ability to pass protect Um, for a smaller guy uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you think of Giovanni Bernard as this guy, you know, passing situations, he's he's going to go out for a pass. Or third down, he's a third down back, he's going to go out for a pass. Well, a lot of times, if you watch the film, a lot of times, especially when the Bengals are giving up a lot of pressure on Andy Dalton, he stays back there and helps chip blockers, take on blockers, blitzers, and and does pretty well at that. So I think that that's, that's an underrated aspect of his game. I do think – I think that both guys – need to be out on the field at the same time in terms of Mixon and Bernard. Maybe Bernard's out there split wide in the slot, like you said, as an actual receiver. And Mixon's out in in the backfield. But I think that if you have both of those guys out there uh, on the field at the same time, that's going to be a very big matchup nightmare for opposing defensive coordinators because it's kind of a pick your poison. And I think that that is a good remedy to use with Green out of the lineup. Um, You know, Bernard's not going to go for the long, long bombs, but the yards after the catch, you know, quick pass, get him open, get the first down type of thing that that could be pretty easy to come by. So uh, I'm going to agree with you on Bernard is the guy that will step up. And as you said, he, he's still slowly coming back. I think, I think he'll probably play this this weekend, but um, we will see. Another score update on the uh, Steelers Panthers game. The Steelers just scored again. I don't even think it's out of the first quarter yet. The Steelers just scored again, 21-7 to on a James Conner touchdown. So uh, not good news there. It started off very promising and, uh, you know, not, not great news for the Bengals there. But uh, they need to take care of business this week coming up against the Saints. We're going to take some texts. Uh, we will be taking texts throughout the show. We're going to take some calls later on. If you want to call us in 949-542-6241 is the number. You can also leave your questions in the live YouTube chat. Um, you can tweet at us at Bengals OBI or in the comment section at Cincy Jungle. And you can also get this show if you don't if you are unable to join us live on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Art19, CincyJungle.com, and on YouTube. So, Thanks for listening, however you may be listening. Big game coming up here, John, Uh, and unfortunately, I think the common perception is that the Bengals are set to get blown out by New Orleans, and I think that that is – there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Cincinnati's defense being one, going up against New Orleans' offense being two. New Orleans coming out, coming out and beating, who pretty much everybody thought was the best team in the league in the Rams last week. So um, <laughs> I'm starting this one off on a, on a <laughs> rosy note, aren't right? I? Um, uh, you know what? What can the Bengals? Because I, I, I think the, the big matchup is the Bengals defense that gets the occasional big play but struggles in the basics, tackling, coverage, letting up big plays, getting off the field on third downs. What's going to be the key and who are going to be the key players on defense against this explosive New Orleans offense?
2: Yeah, it's scary because all week I've seen a lot of um, analytics and stats breaking down what's possibly the best quarterback season we've seen from this year in Drew Brees. And it's scary because he – when he gets rid of the ball before two and a half seconds, he's got a pass rating well above hundred. When he's holding onto of the ball for more than two and a half seconds, he's got a pass rating well above 200. And then you look at what's around him and it's Alvin Kamara, perhaps the best dual threat back in the NFL. Mike Thomas, the most efficient receiver in the NFL, his offensive line doesn't really have a weakness in it. It's, it's an offense without virtually any holes. And the only thing that could potentially slow them down is that they're playing in a, in a, they're going to be playing in less than 50 degree weather along the Ohio river. And I think the defense can take advantage of that, but also obviously we've talked about when they play Kansas city in that weather tackling's hard. And as we saw from them trying to tackle cream hunt, many times they failed, obviously, but on the defensive side for the ball for the Bengals, I think that they have to really swarm Camara when he's releasing from the line of scrimmage, because he loves to run Texas routes, which is basically out and in, he loves to run option routes out of the backfield and, and really take advantage of which, leverage the linebackers playing him. So obviously guys like Preston Brown and Jordan Evans, they have to be more aggressive than they have been in the past to get his, to get their hands on Camara before he reaches five yards past the line of scrimmage, because if Camara gets space, you know, Breeze is going to be dumping balls off to him all day. He might end up with more than 10 catches and more than hundred yards receiving, unless they snuff that out extremely quick. So linebackers have to play monumentally better than they have. And it's scary when they still don't have their best one in individual out of the field. And in the in the secondary, um, William is gonna be going up against Mike Thomas. And that's gonna be a great matchup of two 2016 um, first and second round picks, obviously very obviously very accomplished in early in their careers, but um, Thomas gets separation in such a physical manner, he's a physical specimen at 6'3, like 215 pounds, and he's basically the Marcus Col- Marquise Colson 2.0 in that Saints offense. And Breeze has such a tremendous chemistry with him, targeting him over the middle. Thomas's catch radius is out of this world, but William Jackson's ball skills are also extremely impressive. And if Tom, if Jackson can, again, match the tenacity downfield in his routes and not let him out physical him downfield, he has a chance to at least slow down Thomas. Cause at, at this point, Thomas is going to get his, you know, five to six catches, maybe 70, 80 yards. He's basically, you know, in, in, in terms of production, he's like, he's like their AJ green, right? He's going to get his, and that's, that's something that this can't really be stopped. So Jackson is gonna to have to play a much better, more physical game. And Obviously, Drake for Patrick as well. So I, I just think that those two weapons are the ones that they really have to key in on and not let them win early in the ways that they normally win.
1: I, I agree. Um, I, I totally agree with all of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little a little crazy and and probably go a little old school on you on this one. I, I almost think that the Bengals' offense. In a way, is going to is going to play a part in their defense, and what I mean by that is, if they can control the football, if they can sustain drives, if they can run the football with Joe Mixon potentially, Giovanni Bernard, and and keep that offense off of the field, obviously it gives them a chance. Um, I think I think if you do that, combined with the weather, uh, Drew Brees is fantastic. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time, as you mentioned, but. He plays far better in a dome and at home than he does in, in you know, winds and cold and all that stuff, and as do almost every quarterback. Um, so I, I think that, that that's as weird as it may sound. Yeah, you know, there's, these as you mentioned, critical defensive matchups. But I think if the Bengals can hang on to the ball and sustain drives and, and run the football effectively, keeping them off the field – uh, keeping and keeping their own defense off of the field, um, I think is key. Because if you looked at what the Bengals go back to the Tampa Bay game, Cincinnati at one point had a twenty-one point lead against Tampa Bay. Um, I think they took that was what they took into the locker room at halftime, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And then they come out and they have four straight three and outs on offense. Uh, the defense had kind of held or gave up a field goal here and there and all that, you know, they had the pick six, all that kind of stuff. And and the offense just could not even sustain a drive. And and I'm not talking sustain a drive and punt away after a while or what whatever. I mean three and out, defense is back on the field. Three and out, defense is back on the field. I mean, they get tired. They get yeah. they get tired. And um, you know, I think that if you if this offense does that, and that's it's gonna be a challenge this week without green. Um, I think if this offense does that again this week, this could be a really long day. Um, And it's not just because the offense isn't putting up points, yards, all that kind of stuff. It's because they're putting their defense back out there so quickly that New Orleans could take advantage, right?
2: And there's no doubt that if Cincinnati turns the ball over, like I I, I have zero confidence in the defense's ability to match them in terms of turnovers. If they lose the turnover battle, it's basically a done deal. Drew Brees has like one interception on the year. I think they've had a few fumbles, but not all of them have been lost. The offense, for as good as it is, you know, they're not involved in terms of turnovers. They don't make mistakes on the offensive side of the ball, and as we've talked about so much this year, the defense is so turnover heavy and turnover reliant that it's just not going to be the case for this game. They're going to give up a lot of yards. They're going to give up a, a lot of points in the process, and they're probably and you probably can't count on them, you know, intercepting Drew Brees a couple times. This isn't playing Jameis Winston, so if that offense not only doesn't sustain drives, but gives the ball back to an, oppor- to an opportunistic Saints defense, it, it's basically a done deal at that point. So I agree with a, a lot of what you said. It's going to be more of a, I, I guess from the offensive standpoint, it's going to be a lot of feeding Joe Mixon to make sure that they're not putting the ball in harm's way. And especially if you know the defense shows signs of give, giving leeway to the Saints offense, which will probably will happen. So yeah, I definitely agree that. They got to win. You know, they got to at least keep the time of possession close. And if they lose the turnover battle, they can't expect their defense to pick up that slack.
1: Yeah. This is the orange black insider Bengals podcast. We'll be taking phone calls in just a few minutes. If you want to call in nine, four, nine, five, four, two, six, two, four, one. We're also taking texts. Uh, we'll, we'll try and get to some listener questions here in just a few minutes, but um, continuing on with our discussion about the saints. I, I almost – I look at this game, and I, like many cynical fans, I sit here and I go, well, this is probably not going to – I don't know if it will be to the extent of the Chiefs' debacle, but this this is a game that does not play into the Bengals' favor. But we mentioned the weather, and there's the possibility that the Saints could have been emotionally and physically somewhat exhausted after the, the victory against the Rams, and just say, you know what? Like, you know, well, they don't. They they just show up, and it's you know, th- there's a lot of things going against them. They're on the road, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I I don't know, and, and then that that makes things maybe a, potentially a little closer. Maybe the Bengals can sneak out a win. That's I, I've been kind of mulling both sides here. I am I crazy to even think the Bengals have a chance in this one, or especially with Green out or. You know, is there what kind of glimmers of hope do you think that we can, that you or I can provide our listeners this week?
2: So, just just to start, I don't expect a win. Right, I'm just going to throw that out there, but for reasons as why it could happen, I'll I'll take this back to 2014. Um, the Bengals lost 30 nothing or whatever the hell the score was against the Browns on Thursday night, um, and then 10 days later they go on to play the Saints in the Superdome. No confidence in that game at all. I remember specifically we're, we're, they're going to get beat by multiple scores. They end up winning like by two touchdowns, scoring thirty points. Jermaine Gresham had that one thing with the fan, and it surprised a lot of us. So I don't know if there's a parallel on that, but regardless, the other factors, um, I believe that right now that the Bengals are six-point dogs at home, and they do pretty well when they're um, home underdogs against, uh, unless it's against the Steelers. So they have that thing going. They're also wearing orange and black, orange orange jerseys, black pants. They're like. 6-0 and in that combination as well. There, there, there are some factors, you know, logical or not that we can point to to provide some hope. So it, 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 it's just that, like, I, going into the Kansas City game, I knew that was going to be a loss. Like went into it watching it as a loss because it was on primetime, because it was against Mahomes, everything going like that. The, the, this one, I do kind of agree. Like, I still expect a loss, but I don't think it's going to be to that extent because 1 o'clock kickoff, you know, the weather probably plays in, into their favor a little bit more. Just those factors, you know, that kind of give us a little bit of hope. You know, I, I think that's fair and reasonable. And if if you're watching this game, you know, like a true fan and expecting to win, maybe your hopes won't immediately get, you know, demolished after the opening kickoff and after the first series because of those other things. And plus, you know, it's already November. They're not playing with a division lead anymore. There's a little, There has to be a little bit more desperation, and they have to – at least change at least something to what they do on offense without their best player out there. So, I, I do think that there are some you know instances of reason and logic as to why this game could be closer than what we may fear it won't be. So,
1: with that being said, you mentioned the Chiefs game and that being a debacle. You mentioned you know some of the other better teams in this in this league. Carolina, they lost to to Carolina. Um, they lost to Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, you, you kind of Miami's in the hunt, but I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say Miami's necessarily an elite team or a great team at this point in time. If the bank, so basically, the perception of the Bengals and the perception of the Bengals under Marvin Lewis, both within the fan base and nationally, is the same. They'll be competitive, they'll win the games they're supposed to win, and they might make the playoffs, so they'll be in the hunt towards the end, probably right? And then they'll probably lose in the first round because they've proven that they can't, right? I mean, we're yeah. laughing, but we're laughing. But I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the case, right? Because, Only point
2: for life or truth.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, the three games I mentioned, that that kind of points to it once again this year. But if the Bengals were to beat the Saints team this week, would and should perceptions change about what this team is capable of doing in
2: 2018. Some a lot of things would have to happen for that to happen because on paper, this is obviously a a good matchup for the saints and a game that they should win. And I guess every NFL team has those games where, you know, you don't expect to win and they kind of come out and just come out on top. And that's kind of the nature of, you know, any given Sunday and that kind of thing, but they're going to have to do, they're going to have to prove, that they overcame certain scenarios that in the past they normally wouldn't. And they have the one o'clock kickoff on their side and they have all those other factors that we already mentioned on their side. But it just the win, probably not because the sample size is just one game and we have a ton of other history to look back on, especially just from this season. But then again, winning without A.J. Green against the number one offense, against arguably the best team in the league, it's no small matter and it's nothing that you can just brush to the side so I, I i would still i would still say no i wouldn't have any or significantly more confidence if they were to end up playing in january but i would still have to see what transpired in order for them to get that win if some incredible luck somehow happened for them that's amazing but obviously luck isn't um transferable in the long run and, and again like it, it's Crazy things would probably have to happen, and unless they completely show out against a much more talented team, a much more healthier team, and look like a team that we've never seen before under Marvin Lewis, then yeah, the meter might not shift for me as much as it may for other people. I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, I I mean I would say that it was this would be one of Marvin Lewis's signature wins if he was to beat this team, just because this is a very good team and they're. Essentially, a lot of people are saying they are now the best team in the league because they beat the Rams, who many people believe is the best team in the league. So basically, your top three teams at this point seem to be the Chiefs, the Saints and the Rams. Um, And you can put those in any order. The Patriots are probably sniffing there as well. Um, But those are, you know, those are kind of your top teams. And I think if Cincinnati can beat this team, that would say a lot. Um, It would inspire more confidence uh, based on what they can do. But We'll see. I, I I saw a comment in the YouTube chat from minor threat. I don't know if that's an homage to the old school punk band minor threat, but I'm a huge Bengals fan, but I just don't see a win here, guys. Yes. Yes. You're crazy. I'm thinking he's saying me to think that they have a chance. Bengals lose 38, 10. Um, It's either Jeff and I or Jeff Andy uh, says Bengals just don't have the defense to hang with the saints uh your score prediction this week john um on this on this game
2: i didn't look at the over under i'm assuming it's somewhere in the mid to high 50s even with the weather but i'll go with saints like 28 or 31 yeah saints 31 Bengals 24 i'm gonna say they call it garbage time if you will they kind of make a a somewhat surge late in the game with the saints defense being tired and cold as they are. But it's, it's just hard for me to think that without that they're going to be able to match up whatever offensive output that the saints offense can do. And, and we'll put out because this is a matchup of two of the worst defenses in the league. But as we saw up against the chiefs, that doesn't really matter if one coaching staff out completely outcoaches the other. And you know, Sean Payton is not exactly regarded as one of the better head coaches, but, at least in this case, he's, he's the Saints have that advantage, and even if they're on the road, they're still the better team. And I still think they come out with a with a, at least a one score victory.
1: Yeah i i kind of uh, I kind of agree with you. You know, maybe the Bengals make it competitive in some respects, but uh, I just think that there is too much, and I and I mean that in a couple of different too much to deal with, and I mean that in a couple different ways. I mean that in too much to deal with on the Saints offense. Too many injuries to deal with. Uh, they're, even though they're getting guys back, there are still major injuries that they're dealing with. We don't think Vontez Perfect is going to play. Um, he hasn't practiced this week so far. So, uh, you know, uh, there's just a lot to deal with. And uh, unfortunately, I just don't think that I see a Bengals win. I guess I will go since you took my 31 score. Um, I will say... Uh, I'll say thirty-three twenty-one 21 Saints. I think it'll be a somewhat close, but not really type of yeah. game. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Bengals can get healthy. And if, if they do lose this game, you know, it, it it hurts, but especially with now the sealers being up 24 to seven on the Panthers, it hurts in their divisional race, but you know, it doesn't, it's not a conference game. It's not a divisional game. And they have the Ravens next week, which is a, a, you know, a big game. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. And uh, hopefully the Bengals can surprise us all with a win there, but those are our predictions. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. Uh, You can get this show, on iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, Art19, and CincyJungle.com. So please do so, and uh, we appreciate your support. I see Jeff. it's either Jeff Andy or Jeff and I. I don't know. I can't tell, but in the live YouTube chat, he, he predicted 3417 Saints. We're going to get to some listener questions and get out of here, folks. Uh, we're, we're cruising through this show. Tonight, which is uh usually we go a little longer we might finish up a little early if you want to give us a call we've already got a couple of questions teed up here if you want to give us a call or text 949-542-6241 this is the time to do it um and we will try and get your, your questions on the air uh but for now we've got a couple in the live youtube chat that i wanted to get to john one is from sean blankenship it says, "Would you activate Auden Tate if only for red zone targets?" Now, just little little background: The Bengals recently activated him to the 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 roster this you know this last week, uh, especially in the wake of AJ Green's injury. So he is now on the the fifty uh, three man roster, but uh, we don't know if he will be activated or not this week. You mentioned John that Josh Malone was was on the. Uh, the injury report on on Thursday. So that's an interesting thing. But do you think that Alden Tate could be, we've talked about this a lot because his size, lack of speed, but good hands, you know, could he be that hybrid tight end wide receiver guy at Devin Funchess, uh, Kelvin Benjamin, you know, one of these guys that can do some things in the red zone. And maybe that's where his niche is as an activated player.
2: I suppose I'll take it one step further. And, you know, for listeners to the show, they, they know that I wasn't too high on Alden Tate even in the preseason when he was making waves. But at this point, I mean, I, I, like you, you just kind of see who you have, and it's Cody Corb and Intro Josh Malone, and Alex Erickson, who I appreciate as wide receiver, but I know he isn't much. If Alvin Tate can't, like you know, win a couple routes against a guy like Eli Apple, who's struggled immensely over his career, I just don't see what the point is even having him on the team. You might as well just. You know, trot him out there for a, a couple snaps. You know, at the X during midfield, and even more so in the red zone. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have him. You know, on the active roster without AJ Green, you're missing that true X in your offense. It might as well try out to see if it's Auden Tate in this in this specific scenario, because again, the Saints' pass defense is not good at all. And if I, I know Auden Tate's still not there yet as a prospect, but if he's truly as talented in this you know, magnificent of a receiver as Florida State fans or even Bengals fans will have you say is let him prove it because at this point, Cody Corshard sure, sure isn't. Josh Malone still has, is basically the offensive version of Jordan Willis, and again, Ar- Erickson's just Erickson. So you have literally nothing else to lose by playing him and just letting him make the mistakes because it's better to let Auden Tate make the, make those mistakes against the weak secondary than a guy that you've seen make make those mistakes over and over. So yeah, I want to see him in the red zone. Heck, I want to see him during midfield to see if he can convert some third downs because. We've mentioned that the Bengals' offense has has struggled to keep flow, and without their best receiver, that's going to even be more of a challenge. So, yeah, let, let, let's see what Odintay can take and do in, against the weak secondary. I'm I'm for it.
1: Yeah, and I don't I don't think we're we're talking about you know an exorbitant amount of snaps. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I but I think there are plays that hey put them out there for the plays that you saw them succeed with in the preseason. Put him out there for the plays that you saw him dominate at practices and and off season work. But if he's out there, draw those plays up for him and get him involved. Ones he, that you know he can make ones that he's comfortable with um, you know, those are the things that you're going to need to do. If you're asking him to maybe do some different things, some things he's not used to doing. And and if you're expecting the world from him because green is out and you need to replicate that production somehow, that's not going to work, but red zone short yardage um you know he's got a big big body big catching radius so there's a little bit more margin for error on a throw I guess from from Andy Dalton so um you know I, I'm kind of with you why not and that sounds funny to say because usually you say that when a team is you know out of the playoff race or something you know it's towards the end of the season you kind of go well we got to see what these young guys get but what these young guys give us but I mean, greens out, you got to find something, you got to find something that works and that helps the offense. So um, yes. And I do think that given his size, I think that he could be as uh, the question asked, he could be a good red zone target going forward here. Um, Another question here, we had, uh, Let's see. Oh, okay. Vernon Lawson. This is an interesting one in the live YouTube chat, basically saying, you know, with AJ green down, the outlook doesn't look good, all that kind of stuff. But he also said now that we have a half a season under the belt. And I think we've kind of been asked this before earlier in the year, but I think now that there's a half a season and now there's a lot of injuries and things where you can kind of say, well, this is where the Bengals need to do some stuff. He's, he's talking about draft priorities next year. Um, so positional draft priorities, you mentioned struggles at linebacker. Um, the defense just is porous this, this year. I, that's coaching, also maybe talent at certain positions. There's a lot of t- tough decisions potentially for the Bengals to make too on both yeah. sides of the ball coming forward. Tyler Eifert, do you give him another shot or do you say, dude, we already gave you the, the one-year deal on a prove-it thing. He still couldn't stay healthy even though it was a freak thing maybe it's time to to move on and tight end is a high priority. What do you do about Vontaze Perfect, Right? I mean in the limited time he's what what's he played? 2 games this year mm-hmm. and and in those games he didn't even play well. Uh and he's been hurt or suspended this year. You can't he's he's been proven to be relatively unreliable uh in in certain facets. So where do you look? What do you prioritize in in the next couple of – well, as as the offseason approaches? We don't want to say that this season is over because it's not. The Bengals are right in the hunt. But there are warts on this team that are very noticeable.
2: Yeah, and I think it just boils down to three things. Just right side of the offensive line, still an issue, whatever we want to look at it. It could just be one position if they move Billy Price to right guard. But, um, yeah, right tackle is still a need, even if Bobby Hurt's not been – the total disaster that I kind of predicted he's been okay, but they can definitely do better. And there's talented uh, tackles coming up in the draft linebacker, um, not only just with Vontaze birthday but there's nobody else besides him when Nick Vigil's um, not on the field. And he's entering the last year of his contract uh, for 2019. And then, yeah, for tight end, um, they need that vertical threat there because, you know, as much as I liked Uzoma and as much as you like Uzoma, you know, he still hasn't proven to be that consistent guy there. And, and and you look at the, the at the defense and the defensive line's pretty solid with Lawson healthy. W- w- with that, we'll see how much that that second pass rusher is still needed behind Lawson. And the secondary, I think I'm for the most part comfortable for where it is now because Drake Patrick has his up ups and downs, and Darius Phillips has shown some promise at slot corner. If they move on with Darko- Dark Dark Denard. obviously another receiver would help with with depth because of the guys that are developing there still haven't really shown anything. Um, and then backup quarterback as well, but that's not you know if if they want to keep Dalton for another two years, it's not something they need to invest with more than more than like a third round pick. So top three needs probably still right tackle, uh, linebacker, and tight end because of just so much uncertainty and such ineffectiveness to what what is there right now.
1: This is going to probably come out the wrong way, but when I saw Alex Redmond's missing of practices earlier in the week, I got a little. I don't want to say excited because I don't want the guy to be heard or anything like that. But I, I, I wish it would at least force the coaches to maybe think about the Hopkins price both starting thing mm-hmm. um, and give it a shot. And, hey, we could be idiots and it doesn't work. Um, but I, I think it's worth a look because Hopkins played well at a, at a secondary position coming in for price price was a guard in college also, you know, and then he, and then he tra- transitioned to center. So, I mean, it just kind of makes sense, but you know, uh, the, the Bengals are pretty set in their ways on that front. At any rate, hard to disagree with, with what you're saying. I just, like I said, there's just, there's some tough decisions to make. And I mentioned a couple already. Um, you also may need to have face a, a couple of tough, tough decisions at, at edge rusher. I mean, Lawson will now be coming off a, an ACL tear, um, and he's had an ACL tear in both knees now. That's not good. Um, Michael Johnson's getting up there in age. That Yeah, you drafted two defensive ends the past two seasons with third-round picks, but um, again, we, we talked about Willis earlier. We don't know what's going on there. And then wide receiver, too. Yeah, you've invested high picks on, on, on three guys. Uh, Borderline four, if you want to count Malone, but uh, there's just not much happening behind Green and and Boyd at this point. So, you know, there's just some tough decisions that the Bengals need to face going forward. You mentioned the secondary and the cornerbacks. It's it's a shame that William Jackson, Drake Kirkpatrick, and Darquez Denard for varying reasons have combined for goose egg interceptions this year. that, yeah. that is that is not good. Uh, and that needs to change if the Bengals defense is to make any kind of a turnaround. So um, yeah, that's kind of, it's hard to disagree with you on, on direction for the draft there, but good question there from, uh, from Vernon. Let's go with one more and we'll get out of here, John. Um, and this is from AJM AJM. I don't know if that's a, a tip of the cap to Mr. McCarran or not, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go, we'll go with it. Um, we kind of talked about this last week. Um, basically, is it, it's just another facet of what we talked about last week. But Basically he's, he or she is asking is the defense struggling due to Terrell Austin's system, or is it simple communication issues? Now I, I teeter on this because I, I wrote a mailbag on this on Cincy jungle, and it was based on some of these questions we've received and, I saw it as, you know, Gunther and Zimmer when they drafted guys like or when they were here and the team drafted guys like Kirkpatrick in the first round, Denard in the first round, Jackson in the first round. These are press man corners. These are guys that you want to put on an island and these are guys that can get physical with receivers, jam them up, all that kind of stuff. Um, They also have good, you know, pretty good speed. They can they can play catch up if they get beat, that sort of thing and so what what those guys Zimmer and Gunther like to do they like to kind of leave those guys on the on the islands a bit yeah they use the safety to help out back there but they would they would do a lot of island coverages with those guys try and then try and get pressure up front now that's been all kinds of inconsistent this year and to me that points to Austin i do see that this is where i get confused on pro football focus's ratings because they, they are all about Jesse Bates. And Jesse Bates has had a good season. He's done a lot of good things. He's created a lot of turnovers. But I see a lot of communication issues in the back end of this defense. Um, and I think part of that has to do with Bates' inexperience. I think also Williams is learning to play with Bates. He played with Aloka for a long time. He also mixed in with Reggie Nelson for a long time. So he's learning to play with Bates. They're all learning Austin's system. Um, but it seems to me that there's a lot – very, a very high amount of big passes, big touchdowns, and a lot of looking around at each other and "Where are you?" type of thing. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think it's like you said, a combination of both. Um, just when looking at just the linebackers, and it, this might just be transcends to more than just an Austin thing, but just in the recent history of just the Bengals defense, they don't they don't ask their linebackers to do a lot, and they ended up get getting very little production from them as a result, and. Uh, Joe Goodberry has, you know, um, observed this a lot on Twitter in terms of his film reviews and how little the of depth that the linebackers play in coverage, and that allows the middle of the field behind them to be so vacant. And they tip and typically in the past they've had their safeties play you know decently back because they just don't have the range. And as a result, the middle of the field is vacant, wide open, and so they have you know passes going over the middle you know uncontested. And then on some place where they do drop their linebackers back, then just the short intermediate middle of the field is wide open for running backs and tight ends. So I think that's something that Austin has failed to evolve in the current, the current landscape of the defense. And it's, but we also can't forget that they don't have talented linebackers really without Nick, Nick vigil on the field. And if Nick Vigil's your best linebacker, that position group in itself is not very strong in the first place. So yeah. definitely a lack of severe lack of personnel from that group. And then just in the defense, you don't, if linebacker is your least talented group, it's not the end of the world, but just for the fact of how little talent there is there, it's such a strong issue. And a guy like Zimmer was able to compensate without star players there because he was such a talented mind for getting his edge rushers and his quarterbacks to play at a high level. And it's something that Taras just hasn't been able to do with, you know, the guys that have needed to step up. So I definitely agree with you with the fact that Bates being a first-year player as impressive as he has in a vacuum, you know, if they're relying on him to consistently make the right reads and calls and coverages, there's going to be mistakes. And we've definitely seen, you know, Jackson and Kirkpatrick, you know, you know, leave wide-open guys in their zones because they thought they were passing off to someone else. We've seen double moves happen. We've seen a lot of miscommunications specifically from that Buccaneers game where big plays have happened. That's kind of why they let out that lead. So yeah, definitely. a a strong sense of a lack of communication from the back end there. But even with that said, you know, we we have to admire the the season that Bates has had and maybe put more blame on Austin for really putting that load on Bates and not maybe on Williams to make those calls and to make those adjustments and coverage um, as we've seen them do. So I do think it's a little bit of both, but we can't all put it on Austin when we, when we look at what the personnel he's been dealing with, with, with injuries and such.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Rel Phoenix in the live YouTube chat says, it's tackling, exclamation point. I, yes, but that's just part of the problem.
2: Right. Uh,
1: you know, getting off the field on third down, letting up third and long situations, second and long situations, that's a problem. And, hey, you know, it's easy to bash Austin, and, yes, he is to blame, but there have been times, How many? how many times has I mentioned earlier, about the trio of Kirkpatrick, Denard, and Jackson not having an interception. How many times have we seen Jackson and Kirkpatrick this year get their hands on footballs that should have been intercepted and were not? And those changed the landscape of those games in which that – I mean, I think there was three or four games in a row where Kirkpatrick had a a, a should-be interception, did not. Jackson, Mm -hmm. I can think of at least two that that happened this year. I mean, you get your hands on half of those, that's a big deal um and then like you said the injuries pile up vigil denard uh lawson now um perfect being out of the lineup for various reasons i mean that that doesn't help anything um and the past defense is dead last maybe the remedy you know you talked about darius Phillips. maybe the remedy now is going more nickel and dime kind of base defense get more defensive backs out there um, yeah, there may be some mismatches in terms of tackling on that front, especially if it's against a, a big tight end or something. But, um, you know, it may limit some of these big plays and, and get more of those guys out there. I don't know. But, um, again, we've talked about this on the show basically since the Bengals started this year, and that's the the way they're winning and the, the concern of sustainability for this team to get to the postseason and through the postseason with a – basically a defense that's ranked near or at the bottom in in a lot of major categories. You just, it's very hard to do that, especially when yes, Andy Dalton's playing very well, potentially some some of the best football in his career. But when you don't have a Rogers, a breeze, a Brady that you can say, okay, well the defense is faltering, but we've got a guy that can put up 35, 40 points a game. No problem. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, And like I said earlier, John, the offense has also played a part into this issue where because the Bengals for the first two quarters come out a lot of times real hot and then they disappear in that third quarter and early parts of the fourth quarter, a lot of three and outs and just getting the defense back out there, getting the defense back out there when they need a rest. And uh, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not helping things either. So there's a couple of things at play there. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us live, and thank you for downloading the program. You can get it on YouTube, on iTunes. You can get it on Art19, Google Play, Stitcher, and CincyJungle.com. Uh, quick score alert. This game is absolutely crazy, this Steelers-Panthers game. Um, I don't know if you're watching or keeping an eye on it, John. Or, I am. Or, uh,
2: there goes Antonio Brown.
1: Yep. Uh the, the Panthers scored to cut it to 24-14. And like what happened earlier, a few plays later on offense, the Steelers cut uh, – they, they strike back, and they are now at 31-14. 31 points with still three minutes left to play in the first half. Crazy, crazy. That's crazy statistics. And uh, if you have Christian McCaffrey or Antonio Brown – or James Conner, you're probably a pretty happy guy in f- terms of fantasy football this week
2: because I think our roommate has both Brown and McCaffrey. So I hope,
1: you're, hope you're not playing them.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, that's
1: good. That's good. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get out of here. Thanks, thanks for all the questions, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks, like I said, for dealing with the uh, the scheduling going on. This <laughs> these past couple of weeks, uh, John and I have been pretty busy with a lot of different things, and we appreciate you you hanging with us. Um, we should be coming coming back up on the next couple of weeks. We should be back on kind of our Wednesday night schedule. So just f- for the for the time being, hang tight, and uh, you know we should. John and I will have to talk, but we, we should be having a program probably on that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, maybe earlier in the week, depending, uh, John, you and I can talk about that, but uh, we're still planning on having a show that week, or at least I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we, we can, we can go from there. And hopefully next week we're talking about a huge win by the Bengals over the Saints. Any final thoughts, John? Um, as we, as we close up shop, uh, we're, we're in november i can't believe it ah
2: yeah my beard is is, is growing by the second i I'm, I'm not not shaving for for no shave but um
1: okay. uh is that is that a november thing or it, what?
2: very much a november thing okay uh, but also because it's like 40 outside and i have to stay warm as much as possible and there's <laughs> no heat in my room but um yeah uh i i again i'm gonna be watching this game with the expectation to lose but if you're like me it doesn't doesn't make you a bad fan. It's just uh, the Saints play great football, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to see you know how the Bengals can counter whatever they have to counter. And if the Bengals, you know, if, if they're truly different, then they'll rise to the occasion without their their best player, in AJ Green, against the bad defense. And I just think that you know th- this game will tell us a lot. And for at least for me personally, watching with minimal expectations helps. But if, if that's not your thing, you know, f- feel free to go crazy and have your have your heart beating out of your chest.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think that this, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, big blow up by the saints. I, I don't know if I necessarily see that even with green out and all this stuff. I, I just, I think the Bengals will probably keep it interesting. I, I think this will be an interesting game. I don't think it's going to be a, a Kansas city debacle type of game. I just, I don't see that. Um, the other thing I want to say, it's been, it's been a kind of crazy week, not, not even just outside of football between the midterm elections and all of the emotions. If you're on Twitter, Twitter is a pretty, pretty bad place. Uh, it's been a pretty bad place this past week or so. Um, a lot of spite and different things coming from both sides of the aisle and, and all of that. I don't want to get into politics, but, um, you know, a lot of people are, are very. Uh, emotional about politics in this in this current landscape and that's okay that's you know that's it's good to be interested in it but try try and be um you know for me out here in southern california there was for those who haven't heard there was another mass shooting out in in southern california on thursday actually uh near a university that i went to uh, i went to their campus about a month ago so it just in general kind of struck home with me a little bit um just, you know, when when you think you want to make a a rude comment to somebody online, or you want to just maybe just take a step back and be and think about other things or relax a bit, because there are a lot of things going on in this world that aren't aren't pretty right now. And uh, if you're on social media, you probably see a lot of it and a lot of people that are Twitter tough guys or social media tough guys. So um, I don't know, just try and try and be nice to each other for a little bit. This is, this has been a rough week (laughs) and a lot of different aspects and uh, you know, keep your thoughts with, with the families that were affected in that, in that shooting. Um, That's, it's a horrible deal and it's becoming more and more frequent, unfortunately, and that, that needs to stop one way or the other. So um, I don't mean to bring the show down on a somber note, but uh, let's try and be, try and be kind to to one another for a little, for a little while here. There's there's enough hate going on in the world that's, too much, too much to bear. Sometimes, right, John?
2: Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I was kind of saving that for you because of the uh, the the, the, the locality the locality of the issues. So you know, yeah, it's been... yeah, it's it's
1: about it's about it, uh, without traffic, of course, because <laughs> anyone who's who's been to Southern California knows about the traffic. But from where I live, it's about an hour and a half or so. I mean, it's it's a little ways away, but it's still here. It's in Southern California, and uh, to be honest, I was I was pretty shocked to hear about it. That's not really an area that's a very violent area and, and former, it, it, former Marine and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty shocking. It,
2: it's shocking to hear, but it's apparently, it's unfortunately not a shocking event now it's almost, almost normalized. And I think once, once we kind of realize that reality, we we can take the appropriate steps it. but the first step in solving the problem is recognizing that there is one. Yep.
1: Yep. And, uh, like I said, let's, let's keep the, that, uh, the families and friends and everybody affected in that. Just, you know, send them some good vibes, prayers, whatever your whatever your thing is, uh do that because I'm, you know, those people are hurting for sure. It's not a not a pretty thing. But anyway, that being said, enjoy the game this week. Like I said, I hope that we are talking about a win, a Bengals win, and one of a one of the signature wins in the Marvin Lewis era. It's uh it's a big game. Um and hey if you're the Bengals, you may, you're not expected to win. You're kind of playing at home and you may just say, Hey, let's just, let's just have some fun. Right. I mean, let's, let's go out there, and have some fun. Let's not play tight. Let's just do what we can do. And and who knows? Sometimes that, that leads to a win. Other times it, it could lead to a sloppy outcome, but yeah. we'll see. Uh, thanks, John. Appreciate you joining me. And uh, you've been a great addition to the show, my friend. What's up, man? All right. Take it easy, everybody. We'll catch you next episode. And who uh, did I guess? Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation.